Well, good morning. God is good. And all the time. Yes, he is. Before we uh, continue in our series on the armor of God, uh, I do want to uh, remind you um, this past Thursday, uh, the series on heaven, what does the Bible teach about heaven began Thursday at 6.30, right, Phil? 6.30. I've heard wonderful things about it. And still not too late to jump in. If you'd like to join uh, the group this coming Thursday, I asked Bill what they will be covering. And uh, this Thursday is going to be a good one. Um, how many of you have ever heard uh, at a memorial or some other function, somebody uh, say something to the effect that uh, so-and-so is at a better place? You ever hear that? Right? Uh, have you ever heard uh, the phrase, um, you know, uh, so-and-so is looking down on us? You ever hear that? So uh, Bill's actually going to be looking at what the Bible says about those phrases. Uh, He's in a better place. She's in a better place. Well, where is that better place? And what does it actually mean? What does the Bible teach about recognition? And that does the Bible speak to people in heaven uh, being able to see what's happening on on planet Earth? So uh, really good, practical, um, biblically Based and as believers, these are these are questions that are important um, because again, sometimes we grow up around the church or in the church, and we hear things, and we kind of maybe maybe you cock your head a little bit, and and then you just kind of move on because you don't um, know where to look in the Bible if, it, if it's actually a hundred percent accurate or actually what what does the Bible say about um, the better place? You know, isn't that isn't that an interesting question? Where where is heaven, right? And what does it mean that, or can they look at down on us, you know? And what does that mean? So, so this Thursday, um, I heard wonderful things, great interaction. For those that wanted to, to interact, if you want to come on Thursday and just sit and be a sponge and take notes and receive, uh, that is A-OK 100%. So I um, invite you to come out 6.30 to about 8. Did you guys end at 8 or did you go... 7.45 on the dot, miracles happen, <laughs> if you know Brother Bill, Brother Bill, yeah, seven, yeah we're not going to hold you to 7.45, um, anyway, so you're welcome to, to join, a great, great series, and uh, just to let you know, uh, it is our heart here in various uh, capacities to just continue to teach you the Word of God. The most important thing we can do is get you rooted and grounded. So sometimes when we have series like this, if, if your schedule in this particular spring doesn't work, uh, you know, sometimes like, oh man, you don't have to work, or I can't make it this on these Thursdays. It's okay. It'll, it'll cycle back. You know, uh, maybe we'll do it in the fall, maybe another day in time. Uh, because, you know, series, especially like heaven, it, it is so real and so practical. It's not just a one-off and you're going to have to wait another eight years uh, for us to do it again. So we are looking as we move forward to do a smaller series. We call them on-ramps and off-ramps, maybe four to six to eight-week series, uh, and cycle them through more frequently to give you uh, opportunities on various days and times to, to j- jump on into the Word of God. Okay. So this morning, we're going to continue our series uh, on the armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6, and a very broad review. Remember, uh, Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to believers in the city of Ephesus and the surrounding region. Okay, so it's directed to believers, and we've walked all the way through the book. Now we're in the armor of God, and I want to read 
Ephesians 6, 10 through 16 to kind of give us a scriptural foundation before we launch into verse 17 and the next piece of armor. Okay, Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. All right. So again, we are commanded to put on. It's a sense of urgency. Do it now. Do it now. So I've asked you pretty much for the last six weeks. Did you this morning? Did you consciously, as you were getting going, say, Lord, we've been hearing about this all the way back to 6.11 here, Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God. So did you today, in your time of prayer, and in, in, in whatever shape or form that takes, did you say, Lord, today I'm putting on the full armor of God, right? And we ask ourselves, well, why? Because if you, if you did, it's probably because you understand the need for it. If you didn't, you're probably still, for whatever reason, not fully bought into the belief that you need it. Otherwise, you would have. I mean, it's that simple. If you believe what the Apostle Paul says in these verses, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, right? If you really believed that there's a devil and his minions whose aim is to destroy and devour you and your family, if you really believe that, putting on the whole armor of God every morning is a no-brainer. But if you don't really believe it, and you kind of believe you're good to go, or you got this, or things are good right now, and there's no urgency, you probably slide into the day. And then, you know, you just kind of let things happen, or you're not proactively prepared, you just sort of, now you're reactive and you're wondering, oh gosh, oh gosh. And, and so the question, again, we just keep asking, did you put it on today? Because, right, put on the whole armor of God. That, that's c- continuous. Because the enemy doesn't take weekends off. In fact, the enemy, I think, sometimes works overtime on Sunday mornings. How many of you find it sometimes, for whatever reason, you're excited to go to church and Sunday mornings turn into a battle? Anyone? If you have kids, if you have, what, you know, various things just happen and suddenly like, what? what's going on? We're going to church. Well, I think this is the last place the enemy wants you to come. Or if you're going to make it here, wants you distracted, wants your mind somewhere else, wants you angry, upset, getting in your head already. Even before you get to 1290 grand, you're not even in the right frame of mind to be here. Where's that coming from? Why of all things on Sunday, we're just going to church? Well, put in the context of a spiritual battle, where is the last place the enemy would want you? Okay, so maybe now you understand the need for some armor. 
even on Sunday morning. But again, right? We kind of say it's Sunday, right? Because remember we said the word schemes there, right? It says you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That word schemes is personal, individual, meaning that the enemy schemes, strategizes, plans to destroy and devour each one of you individually, unique to you, not just you as a family, not just you as a person sitting next to you, you, with your own temptations, your own weaknesses, your own failures, your own whatever, the schemes are directed at you. Again, if you really believe that, putting on the whole armor kind of like is a no-brainer follow-up to that, right? If the enemy is scheming, strategizing about you personally, there's a, there's a get to my knees, throw up my hands, Lord, I need you moment, right? And so we've been walking through that. That's kind of really core foundational things in order to understand the importance of putting on the whole armor, right? First Peter 5.8, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy. The devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to what? Devour, not just mess with, not just upset a little bit, not just get you, you know, uh, on edge, devour. It's not a game. It's not a game. And again, sometimes we think of devour is in calamity and destruction. Well, spiritual devouring can happen in prosperity. You can be getting devoured because you're comfortable and you're good to go. And now you're apathetic and you're lukewarm and you're just spiritually devoured. Because that's the scheme that'll work for you. For some of you, it's, the scheme is let's, let's mess with them. Let's have a Job moment. For others, you know what? Let's give them everything the world has to offer. That'll devour them. See, it's unique. It's unique to each person. Warren Wiersbe says this. The danger on the battlefield is that we do not take the enemy seriously. And therefore fail to put on all the armor. Right? So do you take the enemy seriously? I can't answer that for you. I know I do. Not even just as a pastor, but in my own life. Right? Do you take the enemy seriously? And this, again, is not like we're running around scared because we know, again, like we talked about, this isn't a 50-50 battle. Right? We know that God wins and we win. Amen? Right? We're on the winning side. This isn't like, you know, like you see in the movies, like I shared before, you know, good and evil are 50-50 and where it's a nail-biter to see who's going to win. No. The devil and the minions are all created beings. God is God, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. We are his children. We win. We are on the winning side. Now, it means we can take the enemy seriously. There can be an element of respect. There can be an element of awareness, right? But we're not walking around like scared little kids because we're on the winning side, okay? So we've, we've looked at the belt of truth, right? And you see this picture that we've kind of been walking through, breastplate of righteousness, talked about the shoes, and before Easter, we talked about the shield of faith. And today, before we move forward uh, and talk about the helmet of salvation, I want to read a psalm to you, Psalm 13, and then we're going to come back at the very end and um, read it again. So Psalm 13, 1 through 6 says this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Eileen, put up the verse one again. How long, O Lord? Right, I, I think of those first two verses, even in light of the last year. How long? How long do we have to wear masks? How long do we have to go through all the hoops? How long? How long do we have to endure what's going on politically, economically? How long do I have to deal with this person at work? How long do I have to deal with this physical ailment? How long? How long? Any how longs here? Right? How long? I I read that and I'm like, you know what? What a great psalm for present and the last year. How long? How long? Right? And then, and then it says, verse 3, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God, light of my lest I sleep the death, sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. It's like, how long? And suddenly he's like, Lord, you got to do something because I'm going down the tank. I'm circling the drain. I'm, I'm, I'm discouraged and I'm feeling pretty defeated right now. I need you. I need you. And that's where a lot of us have gotten. How long? How long? And you're sliding into discouragement and doubt and despair. And you're like, I think, I don't know. I don't know. I'm feeling pretty defeated. Lord, I need an answer. I need an answer. Right? And then look what happens. Verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord Because he has dealt bountifully with me. The psalmist makes a a choice. The same choice that you and I have. Right now. Where's your focus? Where's your trust? But I have trusted in your steadfast love. All of a sudden, feelings and circumstance, everything he was focused on this way, everything around you, right? All your, everything bad that's happening. How long? I'm defeated. He says, nope, 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 time out. I choose, I choose to trust God. Amen? I choose, and he says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Here's the crazy thing. Makes a choice to trust God. The core foundation of his rejoicing is what? In salvation. Not circumstance changing. Not feelings changing. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And suddenly, there's faith. There's rejoicing in salvation. And look what the fruit is. I will sing to the Lord. Because he has dealt bountifully with me. Wait a sec. Five, five verses ago, how long? How long, right? In verse 1 and 2, how long, how long, how long? In verse 6, I will sing to the Lord, for he has dealt bountifully with me. What just happened? Well, I'm going to tell you right now. What just happened in those six verses can happen to you this morning. What happened in these six verses can happen to you at home. And good morning to you at home, by the way. Why? Because it's the same choice we have. 
Because I'm guessing that everybody in here, myself included, and everyone at home, and everyone listening to this later in the week, probably have some how longs. And have some discouragement, despair. Maybe you're feeling defeated. And I want to encourage you as we walk through the helmet of salvation, you can choose who to trust. You can choose where to find your joy. And maybe by the end, you'll be singing. Maybe by the end of this service, you'll be going, wait, God is good. And all the time, right? So you might have come through like got out of your car like, how long? Some of you might have said, how long is church going to be? And now maybe you'll leave here like, I don't want to leave. This is good. I'm feeling pretty good, right? So we're going to look at that in the context of the helmet of salvation. Okay, I'm going to go back here. So the helmet of salvation, Ephesians 6, 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So you see the helmets there, pictures of the helmet. And uh, the Roman helmets, there were two types. They were either leather or metal. The metal helmets were lined with felt or sponge. And, and here's the, the helmets. I can keep that up for a bit. They did give some protection uh, from arrows. We talked about the fiery arrows, but really that's a shield of faith, right? We talked about. Here's the thing. The primary uh, role for this helmet was to protect a soldier from uh, the enemy's broadsword. The enemy's broadsword was three or four foot long. And in battle, those swords would be going this way. They would get their sword, and they would just come at Roman soldiers vertically. It's very interesting. Maybe you've never noticed before. You see that band? The bands were designed to deflect the blows. Very, very important piece. Right? In fact, wouldn't it be pretty ridiculous for a Roman soldier to go into battle without the helmet? Right? Knowing that the enemy with the broadswords are coming and basically they want to take your head off and they're coming down. Again, no brainer. <laughs> I need my helmet. I need my helmet, right? And it's interesting because in Ephesians 6.17 it says, take, which means to accept deliberately, receive readily. It's an urgent command. Hey, take it. Take it. Now what's interesting is if you look at the other pieces of, of armor, in the context, usually those pieces of armor would be down uh, on the ground and the soldier would bend down and, you know, take the belt, breastplate of righteousness, right, tie his shoes, right, get, grab the shield. The helmet of salvation oftentimes would be held by an armor bearer or an attendant and they would hand it to the soldier and he would take it. And that's really important because... For some of us here, the question is, have you taken the helmet of salvation? And if you say you have, do you actually know what you're holding? Do you appreciate the significance of the helmet of salvation that you're supposed to have on as you sit here and as you listen at home? You're supposed to have it on right now. Like, it's kind of funny. I was thinking about this uh, in the spiritual sense, right, if somehow... God suddenly said, boop, and gave us spiritual lenses, whatever that means. I, I'm, I'm just curious. It's like, Lord, would we be able to see who has armor on right now? Wouldn't that be kind of interesting? 
Like, who has on the whole armor? And who's sitting here? Like, Bill, dude, where's the rest of it? You just got your shoes on, bro. You know? Or like, hey, Robert, where's the shield? Oh, it's in the car. Why is it in the car? Right? Like, if you could just see who here actually has it. Because I asked, did you put it on? And it's easy to say yes. But God really knows. There's a spiritual truth to that. I mean, and, it, and I was like, this morning, I'm like, wouldn't that be a trip? Like, you go to church, and we're actually all walking around in armor. Well, hopefully we all have it on, but wouldn't that be kind of crazy? Right? And, and I thought of this, but do we appreciate this? Right? And again, he's speaking to believers, which says, really what it says in the original, it says, the helmet, which is salvation. And why is this important to have this helmet, which is salvation? It's very important. Jordan, in his quote this morning, is interesting because I, I had heard a version of that. Um, but when he said in that quote, remember he said, preach the gospel to yourself every day? I think that's very important because I think as believers, we tend to think of the gospel only in past tense. I responded to the gospel. And if we're not careful, we're going to see this in just a bit. We tend to put salvation, many of us, in the past. And then it doesn't really make sense to put on the helmet of salvation for present tense battles if we're only really predominantly viewing it as a past tense event. So we're going to look at that, right? Because, again, the schemes, right? There's, there's these primary schemes of the devil. And I'll give you three D's just for experience. Uh, doubt, discouragement, deception, false teaching. Big ones. Why we need the helmet of salvation. Because the helmet of salvation is about guarding your mind, guarding your heart, right? So how many of us have been spun up? How many of us have gone down to drain spiritually? And if you traced it back to what's going on in your head, doubt, discouragement, Deception. The broadsword. The enemy coming at you. Doubt. Discouragement. Deception. Doubt. Discouragement. Deception. Right? John MacArthur says this, the Roman soldier had to defend himself against a broadsword. Satan's broadsword has two sides to it. Discouragement and doubt. Satan wants to belt you in the head with discouragement and doubt. Warren Wiersbe, Satan often uses discouragement and hopelessness as weapons to oppose us. It is when we are discouraged that we are the most vulnerable. We will make foolish decisions and be susceptible to all kinds of temptations. When the mind is protected by the blessed hope of the Lord's return, Satan cannot use discouragement to attack and defeat us. Discouragement is a lethal weapon in the hands of the enemy. Moses and Elijah became so discouraged, they asked God to kill them. The Psalms record some of the occasions when David was in the depths and could only hope in God. How long? How long? Oh, come on, Lord, I've been praying for so long. how, How long? Discouragement. Because if the enemy can get you discouraged, it's not that much more of a step to get you to stop coming to church, reading your Bible, praying, fellowshipping. Because you're just discouraged and you threw in the towel. Start doubting God's goodness. 
start doubting his love. You start doubting his faithfulness. And now you start looking for deceptive false teaching because that didn't work. I tried Christianity. It didn't work. So now you're deceived into looking to other things that'll work for you. And where was all coming from? Because you were in a circumstance and you got so discouraged, you were so doubting, you just gave up. The broadsword just got you right on the head. Right? So what do we do? Well, you have a choice, right? It says take the helmet of salvation. You've got to take it, right? And it has to do with, with where you're putting your mind. Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So real practical question. Today and then this past week, where are you setting your mind? Where do you set your mind most of the time? Your favorite news channel, YouTube, media, what are you reading? Where are you setting your mind? What's going on in White House? What's going on in the world? Where are you setting your mind? It was interesting a while ago, I was, I was actually watching a clip talking about the influence of media, and they raised this question, and, and it, it stuck with me ever since, and now it really changed how I view things. He goes, isn't it interesting? Don't you ever wonder why they call it programming? We're going to return to our program, programming. Right? How many of you grew up in that, in that era? It's more of a generational thing where you watched on the TV, the TV program, right? Well, whose program is that? What agenda is coming through? What are you setting your mind on passively in your house? What programming are you receiving? Because that's where you're setting your mind. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that some of you who, and myself included, you turn on the TV innocently enough, and by the time you're done, how many of you have felt discouragement, depression, and just you felt blah because what came through the screen? And all I wanted to do was be entertained. I wanted some mindless entertainment for 30 minutes, and suddenly I'm like, oh my gosh. What just happened? I felt like I just let the world into my house. And note to self, you did. Be very careful that you haven't sort of compartmentalized what you allow from the internet and the TV and media and everything. Look at it this way. Those people are in your house talking to you. You've invited them in. That'll reframe it a little bit here for you as far as what you're setting your mind on and who or what you're allowing, what programming you're allowing to come into your mind. Because this is where the devil gets in. Discouragement, doubt, deception. Right? And it's a gut check. But I remember, even as a parent, raising five kids, right? And you had to be, okay, um, what are we going to, you know, what's the boundaries for watching TV and what kind of music and all this? And the truth is, it just had to be reframed. Well, would you invite that person into your house with your kids? Because you are. And you're sitting there for 30 minutes or an hour passively just being programmed at. That's just kind of the way it is. So you got to now maybe reframe it, man. You're getting pounded. You're getting broadsworded. By what you're filling your mind with. And it's a choice. 
It's just a choice, right? So we're talking about this, this helmet of salvation. And it's so interesting because if you've grown up in the church, this word salvation or being saved, right? Hey, man, I'm saved. Or hey, praise God for salvation. Or, or thank you, God, for saving me. If we're not careful, salvation and saved and being saved, it becomes so churchy that it doesn't even, doesn't even affect us anymore. There's a phrase called familiarity breeds contempt. You hear it, you become so familiar with these words. Woohoo! I'm saved. Salvation. Right? Familiarity breeds contempt, and I just wonder if we even understand what it is that we're to take up. The helmet of what? Salvation! Salvation! Oh, yeah, I'm saved. Praise God, brother. Salvation! What, what is this, right? We gotta, and, and, and my heart for us is to really maybe be renewed, maybe for the first time understand salvation because you're supposed to have it on your cranium right now. You're supposed to have the helmet of salvation on your head right now. The question is, do you know what you're wearing? Like the significance of it, truly, in, in, in all, of, all the context. Do you understand it, right? So salvation in, in Paul's day the most basic meaning, and here's the word that I would like to use instead of salvation, okay? It says the most basic uh, definition of it was deliverance. Everyone say deliverance, right? It was applied to personal and national deliverance. The emperor was looked on as a savior, as was the physician who healed you of illness. So really salvation might just reframe it, give you a new paradigm, is deliverance or being delivered, so if you are saved, you have been what? Delivered. Hmm. From what? Right? Suddenly, it, it actually might make you, make you wonder, like, delivered? Yeah, because salvation being saved is about being delivered and rescued. Being delivered and rescued. No, you know, but we just say, oh, I'm saved. No, you're delivered. Oh, I got saved when I was uh, 13. No, you were rescued. You see the radical difference in the choice of words? And, and not, I'm, not, you know, I'm not disrespecting salvation and saved. I'm just saying in the church, we use words so flippantly that we become numb. And that numbness just plays out into how we live our life. Right? Because if you know Jesus right now, as you sit here and at home, the truth is you've been delivered. And you've been rescued. And the world needs people living their lives because they've been delivered and rescued. I mean, seriously, that's what the world needs. They don't need the church to go argue and debate and be angry. What they need is to see people who are celebrating being delivered and rescued. That's what the world needs. You know, but a lot of believers, I'm saved. I got saved. And you walk around like you were baptizing lemon juice or something. It's like crazy. It's like you were delivered and rescued. Live that life. Live that life. Let that life put that weird smile that people ask. Why are you smiling? Dude, delivered. And then you know what they're going to ask you? From what? Or they're going to cock their head and say, delivered? And then you, there's your in. 
Why are you smiling? Why you, why you got this joy? Dude, I'm rescued. Rescued? Uh, from what? <laughs> right? Because even the world, they know our story. Hey, dude, are you saved? Get saved. You need to be saved. They're already numb to that, too. The world's numb to that, right? So we're going to look at the doctrine of salvation. It's called soteriology, if you're interested. The suffix ology means the study of. So soteriology is the study of the doctrine of salvation, okay? Here's a definition. The act of delivering or saving from great danger or peril and of healing, protecting, and preserving. Doesn't that help you? The act of delivering or saving from great danger or peril and of healing, protecting, and preserving. So we've been delivered from great peril and now we're being healed, protected, and preserved. That's part of salvation. That's what we're supposed to take up. And so there's three tenses to salvation. And this is really important. You've heard me say this before, but you got to get this if you're going to wear this helmet. Okay? Because most of us live in two of these tenses, past and future. Okay? Here's what I mean. The past tense of salvation is this. You have deliverance from the penalty of sin. Amen? Justification. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We just talked about this when we talked about peace. You put your faith in Jesus. God, the judge, makes a one-time legal, legal verdict. Not guilty, fully righteous. Amen? That is what it means to be justified. Okay? Now, look at Romans 5, 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. How many of you are celebrating that you have been delivered and saved from the wrath of God? Now, you know us around here, we're not necessarily a hellfire and brimstone type of church, but you cannot tell me that there is not a rejoicing that you are saved from the wrath of God. So in the past tense, right, past tense, we have been saved through faith in Jesus. Past tense, justified, not guilty, fully righteous. Boom. Amen? Right? Eileen, we're going to skip to the future. There's a future tense where we are delivered from the, we will be delivered from the presence of sin. This is called glorification. Okay? Philippians 3. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Amen? Goes into Bill's Heaven series. I'm, I'm assuming at one point, one of the questions he's going to say is, what are we going to look like in heaven? Right? It says here, we are eagerly waiting for him to return. Are you eagerly waiting? Right? How many of you, in a sense, can't wait to get off planet Earth in its current condition. Right? You're like, beam me up, Scotty. I'm ready to go. Right? So we know, right? And in fact, Revelation 21, 1 through 4, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold! 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. How many are looking forward to that? Right? So, salvation, past tense, justification, boom, we got peace with God, saved from the wrath of God. Future tense, delivered from the presence of sin and the fallen world. Amen? Okay, here's the deal. Many of us live just with the understanding of salvation in the past and the future. Kind of like, I believed in Jesus, I got my ticket to heaven. And every once in a while, like, woohoo, I can't wait to get off this planet. And we know there's a future, right? But what do we do in the meantime? What are we doing in the meantime? You know, and, and I shared with you, uh, some of you know, my, my wife and daughter went to Ohio and they had these, and on the way back, they had these really long layovers, right? Or on the way too, they had long layovers. And I think sometimes the way we look at salvation is I believe in Jesus. I'm waiting for the flight to heaven. And now I'm just in the airport of earth on a long layover. How many of you have ever had misery in a long layover? You're just sitting there, you know, you've, you've walked around the area, you know, every restaurant, you've looked at every, you know, you're just like, oh my gosh, how much longer, right? Right? And I think a lot of us, because we don't understand the, the present tense of salvation, we're just on a long layover waiting for now boarding, flight to heaven, and you're like, I'm there, Right? We have to understand there's a present tense to salvation, which makes all the difference when you take it up every day, right? And what is this present tense? We even talked about it last week with the resurrection. It's deliverance from the power of sin. So past tense, you're delivered from the penalty. Future, you're going to be delivered from the presence. But as you sit here today as a believer, you have been delivered from the power of sin. I don't know, to me, that's an amen moment, but that, that's just me. You've been delivered from the power of sin. Well, I mean, yeah, okay, thank you, honey. You know, you, you, you had to because you're my wife, but, you know. Which, which in, in one sense means, you know, the devil made me do it doesn't fly as a believer. Because the Bible says you're no longer a slave to sin. Amazing grace. My chains are gone. I've been set free. Have you? Well, that's what this helmet's all about. Right? Romans 6. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Everyone say this next one together. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free. We were delivered from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. 
So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. You see, you, you read that and it's like, oh, there's a command. No, it's not. That's not when it says, hey, oh, there's another do not. No, the whole point of this passage is you are free. The whole point of the passage is you are free to not. That's the point of the passage. You're no longer a slave to sin, which means you're free from your past. Now, I'm not saying it's not gonna, it doesn't take time to work through the old person and the new person. I'm not saying sanctification isn't even difficult at times. But what I am saying is when you take up the helmet of salvation every day, you put this on and you say, Father, by faith this morning, I'm putting on the helmet of salvation. I have been delivered from the penalty of sin. I know I'm going to be delivered from the presence of sin. But Father, right now, today, when I go to work and school and I interact with whoever I'm going to interact with, I am free from the power of sin. That's the helmet of salvation. That's why it matters. That's why you can go from how long to rejoicing. Because it really doesn't matter how long, does it? It really doesn't because you're armored up. And remember, the purpose of the armor was to stand your ground. To stand your ground. And let me, let me address this because I know sometimes um, we, we kind of think, well, this issue came and I prayed and it went away, but it came back. Why did it come back? And you think something's wrong with you or you think that it was a one-off and it should never come back again. It came back maybe because the enemy's not done messing with you. We kind of think that, well, I had this one issue in my life and it's a one and done or I worked through it and I should never have the issue again. No, the enemy still knows that that was an issue. It might just be waiting for a time when you're discouraged and you're vulnerable to bring up the old issue again. And what do you do when it comes up? You stand your ground again. And you say the verses again. And you get prayer again. And you come to church and be in fellowship again to deal with the same issue and have victory again. You see, there, this is a very real-time present tense um, walk that we're talking about. There is a real present tense, real-time enemy who is scheming all the time. It's not like as believers, we're following Jesus and be gone, be gone, never to return. It doesn't work that way. You might have great victory and then circumstances happen and discouragement and doubt or physical things happen. You're just not right. And that same issue comes back. It doesn't mean that you failed. It just means the enemy's trying again. So defeat him again with the power of God and the armor of God. Amen. You still have victory, but don't get caught into this. Why is this happening again? I thought it was over. That's not really the way it works. I tell you that every day. I, I live that every day. Every day the enemy comes at me. I've shared my story with you. And every day I take up the armor and I say the exact same verses and I walk by the exact same faith that I did 24 hours ago. That's just the way it is for me. And sometimes there's a 48-hour lull. Sometimes there's a 72-hour. But I don't expect it to go away till I board the flight for heaven. It's just part of my deal. 
So hang in there. Okay? Hang in there. Armor up. Okay? Live when you put the helmet of salvation. Understand now. Past, present, future. Amen? That's the helmet of salvation. That's why it matters. So the question is, for some of us this morning, have you taken? Very fundamentally, first question is, have you taken? Have you received the helmet of salvation? Are you saved? Are you delivered? Have you been rescued by faith in Jesus? 1 Timothy 2. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all. Everyone say all. Who desires all people to be saved, delivered, rescued, and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Amen? God wants you to be delivered. God wants you to be saved. God wants you to be rescued. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Take this. Just take it for the first time, maybe. Take the helmet of salvation. It's a free gift. Take it. God wants you to be delivered. That verse just said it. He wants all men to be delivered. Isn't that cool? Right? And, and, and then for us as believers, if you're honest right now, where is the joy of your salvation? As a believer, do you relate kind of to the first half of Psalm 13? How long? How long? Oh, how long? Oh, I feel so defeated. I'm so mad. I'm so angry. I'm raging. Are you there right now? Where are you? I think about Psalm 51, King David. Remember all the bad choices he made, sinful choices he had made with Bathsheba. And then he gets called to the carpet by the prophet Nathan. And in Psalm 51, he says this. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with the willing spirit. Maybe today as a believer, if you don't have the joy of salvation, if you're not rejoicing in salvation, maybe, like King David, you need to confess some sin. Maybe you're walking in the wilderness because you've pretty much been doing your own thing making choices that the Bible would call sin. And that has a direct impact on the joy of your salvation this morning. So what do you do with that? Well, the Bible says confess your sin, receive God's forgiveness, turn from it. So maybe this morning as we begin to wrap up, maybe there's issues in your life you need to confess. Say, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. I confess my pride. I confess my arrogance. I confess... I've been, whatever, you know you, God knows you, let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, right? And then 1 Thessalonians 5.8 says this, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. I love that. So maybe it's not a time of confession. Maybe this morning, you need to have some confidence. 
You just got to have some confidence in your salvation. Now, here's the thing. It's not your feelings and emotions and circumstances. Where will your confidence come from? The truth and authority of the word of God. That is what you got to hang 100% of your confidence on. I shared with you before a few weeks ago, someone kept asking me, how do I know I'm saved? How do I know I'm saved? How do I know I'm saved? Right? And I went round and round and round. And in the end, I said, bro, I can only give you what the Bible says. You have to believe that. He says, well, how come you have all this? And you seem so set and you seem, it's like, bro, because I just believe the scriptures. I have decided because of everything I've been through and just my own reason, whatever, I am at the place where 100% of my eternal destiny is based on the truth and authority of the word of God. It is or it isn't. And I'm all in with the Bible being the word of God, being truth, being everything. I'm all in. So when someone says, how do I know I'm saved? I just say, well, here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. So maybe this morning, the the salvation issue, you've been a little wishy-washy and all that, because you just don't have confidence in the word of God. You have to settle that issue. You got to settle it. Is it the word of God or isn't it? It can't be both, right? There's a law, I've talked about the law of non-contradiction in theory, right? In in logical theory, there's a law of non-contradiction. Two opposing truth statements cannot both be true. Now, unfortunately, our culture believes that. But it doesn't work that way in the law. The law of non-contradiction. So the Bible is either the word of God or it's not. They both can't be true. You have to pick. The law of non-contradiction forces you to pick one. When you pick one, hopefully that it is the word of God and you're all in confidence, joy, peace, Because you weren't all in. Put all your chips. Texas hold them all, all in moment. You know why, you know why when, when, when guys are around the table and they're, they're playing Texas hold them and they go, they say all in and they push their chips in. You know why they stand up and do this? Because they're all in. There's a physical, a physical manifestation. When you push it all in, you're all in. You're like, okay, here it is. Here it is. Well, it's the same thing when you push all in for Jesus. Here it is. Let's do this. You see, God's called me to ministry, and and even in my own life, I've settled this. Dude, I am so far out on the end of the limb that there's just no going back. There's just no going back. So, you know, um, the elders here, we're just going to tell you, if you come to the well, you know, we're all out on the end of the limb for Jesus. We believe the word of God is the word of God, and it's just a non-negotiable around here. I don't care what anyone says in the government. We're going to preach the word of God. We're going to stand for the truth of God. What that means, I don't know. But I'm all in, and I, you know, there's times I'm like this. Okay, here we go. But then I go back to past, present, and future. Whatever happens, happens here. I got, a, I got a flight to catch. That's what the Bible says, right? This isn't all there is. And so when, when I settle these issues, and again, it, take, it can take time and fellowship and being honest with other believers. You settle these issues, suddenly you become free and delivered of the things of this planet. 
free of fear of failure, fear of what they're going to think about you, persecution, criticism, condemnation. You become free of all of it because you realize you're a citizen of heaven and this is not your home right now. I'm just a passing through. You're free. And that's what we want for you here is that same freedom. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, 11 continues, For God chose us, chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. I love this. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. And you know what I thought about when that last phrase, encourage each other, build each other up, in the context of the armor of God? How about you look about it this way, how we relate to each other here? If a brother or sister in Christ comes to you and maybe they're going through an issue or they need prayer for something, maybe together you can try to discern what piece of the armor is either missing or needs attention. Is it belt of truth? Is it breastplate of righteousness? Is it the shoes of peace? Is it the shield of faith? Is it the helmet of salvation? Maybe we're supposed to help one another put on our armor. Because most of the issues in your life and my, my life, if you're honest, it'll go back to one of the pieces of the armor. And sometimes you need help. How many of you have ever had someone, hey, you know, can you help me get this on? You know, hey, can you zip me up? Hey, can you whatever, right? Sometimes maybe as believers are encouraging one another is helping each other identify what armor is missing. Hey, dude, where's your shield of faith? Hey, dude, where's your helmet of salvation? Hey, dude, where's, where's the peace? Where's the shoes of peace? Maybe we're just supposed to help each other get the armor on and keep it on. Right? So Psalm 13. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O oh Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Amen? It's a choice. Trust. Rejoice in your salvation, your deliverance. You have been delivered. You have been rescued. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep trying different words to, to like, I get some real, like, re- rejoicing. I mean, I, I, I don't know, Bill. I don't, maybe, maybe they'll rejoice at heaven series. I, 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 I don't know. Right? It's, why? Why? Like, like uh, Randy, can I share what we shared in the, in the I, I asked Randy, I said, you know, when Randy got delivered from cancer, he was rejoicing. He wasn't afraid what anyone was going to think about him if he shared that he was delivered from cancer. Oh, gosh, what if they reject me? Oh, gosh, what if... He was, re- he was delivered from cancer, and he wanted everyone to know. And it impacts every day of his life, being delivered and rescued. What more spiritual deliverance? What more? Why can't we just be free to share and live delivered lives? rescued lives and just go share that with people what's gotten into you dude i finally understand i'm just i'm not just saved i'm delivered i've been rescued 
Because that's what the world is looking for right now. The world is a very dark place right now. The world is in despair, depression, discouragement. There's a lot of people on the edge. And they don't need Christians coming in saying, you need to get saved or you're going to burn in hell. What they need to say is, hey, man, come on, I've been delivered. I've been rescued, bro. Come on. Right? That, that's what the world needs. They need some good news. They need to be, like, enthusiastically invited in to the delivered party. Right? And it's more than just, like, the longest layover. We're, like, celebrating in the layover. Right? The party happening at gate whatever. <laughs> gate 1290, there's a party. As we wait to board the plane. Right? Because we're the delivered crew. That's us, right? And so I know it's kind of crazy, but hang with me because you know I kind of get out there a little bit. I'm in there studying, and this song comes into my head, like a little kid song, and I kind of rewrote it, and it goes like this. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, let your life really show it. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. Come on, right? Like I said, stuff just comes and I'm like, okay, Lord. If you're saved and you know it, just clap your hands. Live that life. Amen? You've been delivered. You've been rescued. Put it on every day. Preach the gospel to yourself every morning. Go out with a smile on your face. Change the how long to hallelujah. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that because we have salvation, deliverance, we can change the how long to hallelujah. We can rejoice every day in salvation. We have been delivered from the penalty of sin We have been delivered from the power of sin, and we will ultimately be delivered from the presence of sin. Hallelujah. Praise you. And as we prepare for communion, Father, my heart is for those of us here and online and listening that need to just, at the first step, take the salvation helmet. Take salvation. Receive the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus. Receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Put your faith in him, his death and resurrection. Take the helmet of salvation. And then for those of us who have already taken it in the past, I pray that this morning would be a hallelujah morning, that we would choose to trust you. We would choose to go from how long to hallelujah. Because we're not just on some boring layover on this planet, but we can truly celebrate and be ambassadors of reconciliation used by you to bring more into the kingdom because we've been delivered and it's a good news message we've been delivered we've been rescued and we saw earlier that you father want all men to be delivered and rescued so we will take communion there's cups in front of you during this song feel free to take communion when you're ready just have a time maybe you have confession you need to have the joy restored maybe it's a time of confession Use this time to remember Christ and remember who you are in Christ. That you have been been saved, delivered, rescued. Take the helmet of salvation. Celebrate.